0: So let me tell you today a little story about a young man by the name of Ethan Payne. Uh, he was granted a special request through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And he was, so when he was 18 months old, he was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. And as you know that, I'm sure that is a uh, challenge for the respiratory system and all that. But his way of uh, attacking this disease was to sing. And he said that when he, when he was singing, that was his Cure. That's, that's when he felt good. And so his make-a-wish was that he wanted to meet Luke Bryan. And in 2017, right here at AT&T Stadium here uh, in the Metroplex area, Luke Bryan was doing a concert for about 50,000 people. And beforehand, as uh, I discovered, going back and reading the story, he always meets with people beforehand and has, you know, whether it's Make-A-Wish or other um, kids and others that he's meeting with. And so he met Ethan, who at the time was 13 years old, and Ethan brought his guitar with him. And his wish was to sing a song for Luke Bryan. So he pulls out his guitar and and began to, uh, you know, sing one of Luke Bryan's songs for him. And he was so uh, just taken by this kid at 13 years old and his talent level and what an incredible job he did that, you know, there a few hours before the show, he said, how'd you like to come on stage and do that in front of 50,000 people tonight? And this young man said, yeah, I want to do it. I'd encourage you to go back and, and, and Google it or, or YouTube it, whatever, and look it up. But it says it's, you know, nine or 10 minutes. It's too long to show right now. But this kid comes up on stage front of 50,000 people brings his guitar he doesn't even he's not even nervous he sings this song they end up doing a second one together at the end of them singing together Luke Bryan gives him his guitar and says I want you to take this and practice with it it's a cool story two years later he comes back on American Idol where Bryan's a judge has his guitar sings for him it's, anyway just a, a, a really cool story um but, but it made me think what, what an incredible invitation that is, right? When somebody does something that special for you, you know, they bring you up on stage, they give you their guitar, they give you a chance to fulfill your lifelong dream and sing in front of all these people. I mean, you know, th- there is an appropriate level of gratitude and response that goes with such an amazing gift like that, right? And the same is true for us today. If somebody gives you... Uh, an extravagant gift of some sort, whether it's something material or something just really special, it, is, it would be weird not to respond in some way, right? Wouldn't that just be odd if somebody gives you a great gift and you just kind of, you know, just go on about your business like nothing happened. You don't do that. You respond in gratitude. You respond in some way. And today, as we continue on in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to see what an appropriate response looks like To the gospel. We've been looking in the last several weeks uh, in the book of Hebrews and been talking about how Christ has shed his blood for us and cleansed us of our sins, how this way uh, has been opened for us to have direct access to God, the veil has been torn. And so let's jump in in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19 today. And let's read for now through verse 25. And as we do it, just through the lens of, understanding what an appropriate response is to this amazing gift that God has given us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this passage here clarifies, really starting in verse 22, it it starts to say, you know, what are the things that we should do? And it says, let us do these things. These are all a response to the confidence that we have, verse 19. You know, the way that's been opened for us, verse 20. Uh, having a great high priest over the house of God, verse 21. All those things that we've been looking at and over the past several weeks, he says, okay, here is what we should do as a result of that. But the thing that is so remarkable, what makes our response so important is the fact that we have been given direct access to God. And that's something that we maybe have heard about and are aware of and it's easy to take for granted. In fact, we live in a culture where I think this is a high value for us because we are used to having more access now, even to those that used to be inaccessible, we, we now have more access. I mean, think about the celebrities that you've, um, you know, if you have somebody famous that you care about. You can probably follow them on social media. There are ways that you can get into some behind the scenes and feel like you're getting a little bit more access. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I had people that I looked up to and, and admired, but I didn't know anything about them. I mean, you maybe saw them on TV or you read an article about them in a newspaper. Remember those? Or or you did something like that, and, and that was it. But nowadays it's like, wow, you can, you know, go behind the scenes with all this stuff. But here's the thing. Even with What might feel like a little more access? We really don't truly have access to them. We might have a little bit more insight into some things that go on in their lives. But we really don't have access to them. You can't just call them. You can't just hang out with them, you know, say, hey, I need to talk through something with you. Do you have a minute? But we do have direct access to God. It's amazing to, to, to think about that we have this door that has been open for us that allows us and here's the thing now when it comes to our access to God the only thing keeping us from God is us I mean if we choose not to respond in faith that's that's it I and mean, Christ died he shed his blood he covered he, he did everything that was necessary now if we choose not to respond in faith, then that's kind of on us, but we have the opportunity. In other words, the door has been opened. It's just now up to us to walk through that door and to have that access. And so understanding that and and knowing that that's available, first of all, I urge you, if you haven't already, uh, by faith accepted the gift that Christ offers, I urge you to do that today or or talk with one of us or ask questions that you may have of myself or another believer or somebody else that you know that is a Christ follower. That is so important that we take advantage of that and, and, and walk through that door. Once we do, then here are some ways that we should respond to that. The first one that I see in verse 22, it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. So the first thing is that we need to draw near to God. This, this is an appropriate response. God says, I've done all this for you. Christ gave himself for us. What's an appropriate response? It's to draw near to him. It's for us to respond in faith. And then it tells us some, things that, that some ways that we go about. How do we draw near to God? First thing it says is that we draw near to God with a sincere heart. You know, one of the things that we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is that one of the things that draws God's ire more than anything else is lack of sincerity. When somebody pretends to be a certain way in one situation and yet is another in in another situation, I, I think about Jesus, what he had to say to The experts in the law, he chastised them and I quote what he said. He said, you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. And he had similar conversations with the Pharisees. And and, and then in Romans chapter 2, Paul had the same kind of conversation where he said, Look, you who are preaching do not steal. Do you steal? And this is where we get the phrase, practice what you preach. That comes directly out of Scripture. It may not say it exactly in those words, but that's what he's saying. Do you practice what you are preaching to others? And if the answer is no, that's one of the things that we see that that God, it, it really draws God's ire when Those who are pretending to be religious in some way are, in fact, really not being sincere. If we are going to come before God, we have to come with a sincere heart. So what does a sincere heart look like? Well, first of all, let's talk about what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like a sinless heart. I want to be very clear about that. To say that we need to approach God with a sincere heart doesn't mean that we've got it all together, that we're not ever going to mess up again, that we're not going to make any mistakes. That's not at all the case. In fact, I would say a sincere heart means that we come acknowledging our sinfulness, acknowledging our shortcomings and being honest about it, but also clinging to God for His mercy, for His grace, and realizing in all sincerity, God, I don't deserve to be able to approach you. But because of what Christ has done, because this sacrifice that we've been looking at here in Hebrews, because of that, I can approach God. I think about what Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector that went before God to pray. If you remember that story, and the Pharisee was all, you know, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people and even like this tax collector. And I give a tenth of all that I get and I fast and I do all these things. And then the tax collector, his prayer was, God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner says that he beat his breast. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he just prayed, God, have mercy on me. That's a sincere heart. It's acknowledging that I fall short, that, that I do have issues that need to be dealt with. But God, help me deal with those things. And, and, and that, that, is, that draws God's heart uh, when we come before him with sincerity like that. And then it says not only... Do we approach with a sincere heart? And it says, and with the full assurance that faith brings. I love this little phrase here. That, that we approach God with the full assurance that faith brings. Think about whenever you've had to approach somebody in your life maybe it was a higher up or a boss or a ceo of your company or something like that it can be very intimidating sometimes to approach certain individuals and you may approach them without a lot of assurance right but then think about what it looks like for a child to approach mom or to approach dad knowing that that child is loved you know last sunday was fathers day we talked a little bit about that uh, in the message. And so just kind of continuing to think about this, this is one of the things that I'm going to carry on for a a week past with at least this one idea. One of the things that just absolutely breaks my heart as a dad is when I see children that don't know that they really have assurance in approaching their parents. And specifically, guys, I'm going to call us out on this, specifically their fathers. Because in some cases, they don't know if if I approach dad, am I going to be Ridiculed? Am I going to be scorned? Am I going to be pushed away in, in, in some way? And here's the thing. Kids are smart, right? And they figure out really quickly, I, am I going to be received when I approach or am I going to be pushed away? And if the answer is I'm going to be pushed away, what do they do? They just, man, they put those walls up and they say, I'm not going there. It's not worth it. And so, they're, they're, and that, that just breaks my heart. I mean, you can see that sometimes where there's a dynamic in the relationship where the kid just feels like, you know, I've just got to keep my distance. I've got to protect myself. And it breaks my heart when I see that. It breaks my heart for that child because I think of what that child is missing out on that they should be experiencing. But it also breaks my heart for the, for the parents and for the dad especially because I know what a blessing it can be when a child knows I can approach my father in full assurance Last Sunday, I had one of the coolest experiences, best, best Father's Day gift. Ever. Some of you, I know, have seen this already. Maybe if you follow, I'm not a huge Facebook person, but I had to post something about it this week. I got home from church last Sunday, and I walked in uh, the house. This is what was waiting for me as, as I got back. This is my youngest daughter, who um, did not get to go to prom this year because, you know, she's a graduating senior, and you all know all that's going on with that. And she bought a very special prom dress this year that I had never seen. And the idea was that we would be surprised on uh, the evening of her prom and all that. And she wanted to surprise us. So I walk in the house and she's wearing her prom dress, holding a sign about daddy-daughter prom and asking if I would do that. And there's a little table for two set up right there, you know, in the middle of our living room. It, it was awesome. I'm telling you, she looked like, truly just looked like a princess. I was, I mean, it just took my breath away when I walked in. But thinking back over that later, one of the things that, is, is, that brought me the greatest joy is to know that she had confidence to do that, right? I mean, what if, you, what if you go through all that trouble and put on your pretty dress and say, well, you do this, and you're worried about the response being, I don't have time for that. or I don't, you know? No, that's, you, you don't do something like that if you don't know that you are going to be received and loved and accepted and in the same way. One of the things that brings, I believe, brings the most joy to our Heavenly Father's heart is when His children are confident enough to approach with great, with, 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 with great assurance, saying, I know that my dad wants to be with me. I know that my Father in Heaven loves me and desires to be with me and wants to spend time with me. And that brings joy not only to the child, but that brings joy to the Father as well. And so we approach God with that type of confidence. And it says the reason we can do that. At the end of verse 22, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, these are both references to faith in Christ and what Christ has done for us. And so we, we've talked in the past that going through you know, the rituals and all that can never really cleanse the conscience of the worshiper, as it says in Hebrews, but a relationship with Jesus really can. And so, um, so we, we approach God with that type of confidence, with sincerity. Here's the second thing. That we're told to do. In verse 23 it says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. A lot of translations say hold fast. And so here's the second thing. Hold fast to the hope that we profess. In other words. This is something that that we hold on to. And refuse to let go. That's what that word means. To hold fast means to, to grab on. And to refuse to let go. He's obviously speaking to believers here. And he's encouraging us to hold fast. Now I just have to tell you when I see this I, uh, there's an image that comes to mind. This has been around for a long time, but here's a picture. Y'all seen this before, I'm sure, right? And I love this little picture of what it means to hold fast, right? No, no matter what's going on, you know, you may have me in your mouth, halfway down your throat, but I'm not letting go, right? I'm just going to hold fast. And here's the thing when when we go through stuff in life, it's going to feel a lot of times like we're getting swallowed up. And we just got to hold fast to our faith and refuse to let go of our faith. I mean, this is, this is speaking clearly to those who are believers because it says hold fast to the faith that we profess. So he's speaking to those who have professed their faith in Christ. I've said this is my priority. I've said this is what I believe. But now I've got to, I got to live it out. I've got to prove it i got to stick with it and hold fast to it. Even when everything around me is, is, is draining me of that, we hold fast to the hope that we have in Christ. Guys, the reality is this. We live in a hope-sucking world. We just do. I mean, this world will suck the hope out of you really quickly if you allow it to. And especially right now. I mean, all the craziness that we're going through right now, I mean, it could easily, if our hope is in the things of this world, if our hope is in finding a cure for, or a vaccine for COVID, or our hope is in financial stability, or our hope is in anything related to the things of this world, once, once you get your hopes up, it seems like the rug just gets jerked right out from under you. I mean, we're experiencing that a little bit right now. You know, we start to kind of open things up and get like, hey, maybe things are kind of getting back to normal. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, maybe not. You know, that's... That's not where our hope is. We can't put our hope in those things that, that are just in unstable like that. The things that change. But what is the one thing that is unchanging? The Bible says God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. And so we put our hope in God knowing that He is the one who will carry us through all of those times. Good times, bad times. Whatever it is that we're going through. It's, it's much easier for us to hold fast when, when there's something uh, that, that, that we can turn to. When there's something that, that we know that restores our hope when we feel like our hope is getting sucked out of us. And we're told at the end of verse 23 what that is. The reason we're able to hold fast to the hope we professed is because He who promised is faithful. See, so we have to come back to God's character. We have to come back to who God is. And if God is faithful and He is, then, then we can have hope. Even when I don't understand, even when I'm going through things, I mean, what, what does it mean to say that God is faithful? To say that God is faithful means that He will always be and act in alignment with His character, with who He is. Well, what do we know about God's character? Who is He? He's, he's faithful, but He's righteous. He's holy. He's just. He's merciful. He's full of grace. All these things. He's loving. All these things are, are qualities that we can come back to and say, okay, I know who God is and God doesn't change and he will continue to be faithful. Here's the challenge. Sometimes we are limited in, in our vision of things and all we see is a very small little window. For example, if all I did right now, just happened to be looking at you, Ron and Vicky. I don't know why it worked out that way, but y'all are looking really good there. That's about all I can see. You know, I can scan around a little bit and see, you know, see a few more folks here. But I'm telling you, if this is the extent of my vision, I'm pretty limited what I can see. And so if I'm looking like this, y'all might be making all kinds of faces at me over there on the other side of the room. But I don't know it because I can't see that. That's not my vision, right? There are. okay, I was just checking to see if you were making faces over there. We're good. (laughs) there are so many times where God's faithfulness. It's so hard to see because we're looking through this, right? We, we, have a, we have tunnel vision. We only see a small portion of this. I think about the story of Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 6, I believe it is, where Elisha's servant, you remember this, when the, the people surrounded them and his servant is just freaking out and Elisha prays, God, open his eyes. And so what, what he first saw was they were surrounded by the enemies and then he, he, God opens his eyes and he sees chariots of fire and this army of God that completely surrounds the enemies. See, there was a a realm of what God was doing that he could not see through the lens that he was looking through. And I think the reason we sometimes struggle and and maybe don't see God's faithfulness or or don't experience it the way we think we should is because God is doing something in a realm outside of our little scope of what we can see. But we have to trust God that God is, is faithful and that God is who he says he is. And when we do that, then we can hold fast to that. Because that, here's what that looks like for me. When I'm struggling and when I'm like, you know, doesn't seem like God's answering this prayer like I want him to. I don't see what God is up to. I can be confident in knowing there, there is something outside the realm of my little scope of what I can see that I know God is doing because I know of who God is and I know his character. And that allows me to hold fast to the hope that I have. I'm not going to lose hope. Because I know who God is. He is faithful. The third thing that it tells us to do here in verse 24 and 25 uh, says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here's the third thing is spur one another on. Just right out of that, that verse. A good response to what Christ has done for us is that we are going to encourage one another in our faith. Now this speaks to the interconnectedness of our faith because in verse 25 it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another daily. So we need to have relationship. We need to be together. And I know right now that's a little more difficult in light of all that's going on. But I think it's still important for us to find ways to stay relationally connected to one another, even if that means not being able to physically be together as much as we would like. Because it's important for us to do that in order to spur one another on. I I like that image of spurring one another on because it makes me think about horses and spurs, right? Now this is going to come as a surprise to some of you. But I, in fact, have not ridden many horses in my life in spite of how bow-legged I am. And in spite of the fact that there are certain individuals that I won't call by name, but they happened to kill it on that last little duet there in the male version of that. Who in a very first lunch meeting with them, as new people to church has said, you know, has anyone ever told you you walk like you're riding a horse? You know, so that he just had to get it off his chest. And thank you for that, Michael, since I'm not mentioning names today. <laughs> no, I do not have a lot of experience riding horses, but I look like I do and I walk like I do. But here's the thing, if I did, and I, and I actually knew what it was like to use spurs, um, spurs are, are for the purpose of, you know, get, getting your attention, right? Getting the horse's attention to say, hey, it's time to get going a little bit. Now, I know horses are tough. They have a tough exterior. So when you spur a horse, you're really not damaging the horse. But at the same time, it probably doesn't feel real good right it's probably not the most comfortable thing in the world and so when the bible tells us to spur one another on I'm thinking we're not damaging each other when we do that but it might be pricking each other outside of our comfort zones a little bit and giving a little shove to say hey we need to keep going so it's that but it's also the flip side of that is where it also says encouraging one another see sometimes it's a little poke And sometimes it's just a little encouragement, but both of those are are needed in the context of relationship. If you try to spur someone another spur on another person that you don't have a relationship with, you know, at worst you might get punched. At best, you know, you might at least they might think nasty things about you and not say anything. Uh, That's different from somebody that you trust. And the same thing is true of encouragement. You can offer encouragement. I'm gonna tell you, I could stand up here and offer all kinds of encouragement from Scripture but if you're not here or we're not you know, streaming it so that you can see it online, I can just pour out my heart encouraging you and, and telling you what a wonderful person you are, but if you're not here to hear it or you're not able to see it and receive that encouragement, then it doesn't do any good, right? Because encouragement needs to be received in the context of relationship. So that's why he says, don't give up meeting together because we need to spur one another on. We need to encourage one another. And then one last thing that that he reminds them is uh, as we, you finish out the chapter, and I don't have time to read and go through all of the rest of chapter 10, but let me just summarize a little bit of, of what he's saying in verse 26 and following. He begins to go through and say, look, if, if we... You know, if we trample underfoot, and it uses that phrase there, the things of, of, of Christ and what Christ has done, there's really no sacrifice for sin left. And so part of that encouragement, part of that spurring one another on is to say, look, we've got to respond in faith to what Christ has done. And if we do not, the consequences of rejecting Christ is very, very serious. I mean, we're talking about an eternity separated from God in hell. That, that's not a good thing. And so we encourage one another to remind one another, let's respond in faith to Christ. But, but then he goes on in, in verse 32 and following and, and gives a little bit of encouragement for those that have trusted in Christ and says, look, you know, the, the times are going to come where you're going to be tested, where you're going to be tried, and it's not going to be easy. And it says, verse 33, you know, sometimes you will be publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who are so treated, suffered along with those in prison. You know, it's not always going to be easy. And that's part of the encouragement. That's part of reminding ourselves of the hope that we have. But then let's pick it up in verse 36, and I'll close with these last few verses because this is so encouraging to me. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Do you hear that? When we persevere and do the will of God, we will receive what is promised. There is reward that comes for that. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Man, Jesus is coming back. And it's all going to be worth it. Verse 38, And my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I'm going to tell you right now, I read that verse, I'm like, yes, I get fired up about that. That that just kind of gives me the goosebumps. It's like, yes, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. Guys, I believe this to be true of you who are followers of Christ, that this is your kind of faith. You don't belong to those who shrink back. You don't belong to those who let go of that hope. You belong to those who say, I'm not going to shrink back. You belong to those who have genuine faith. Get your mess out of my face, Satan kind of faith. I'm not going down that road. I'm going to continue to be faithful to God because I am not one who shrinks back and is destroyed. And I believe that is true about you. That you are that individual that says, I believe, and because I believe, this is what I'm going to do. See, we, we, are, we are here to encourage each other in that way, to remind each other who we are, what God has called us to do, that we don't give up, we don't lose hope, but we continue to press on and to move forward in faith as a people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You so much today that, that we are able to encourage one another. Lord, I thank You that, that You have called us to to live in relationship with each other so that, we can, um, so that we can encourage each other. And Lord, especially right now, um, we need that encouragement. We need that reminder. We need each other. Uh, we really are reminded how much we need each other these days. So Lord, I pray just that, that we're able uh, to continue on to, to draw near to you with that sincere heart that you talked about, Lord. And, and Lord, that we just press in to that relationship and draw closer to you. And Lord, help us as we help each other to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.